This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, and uh, his new book, uh, A Biography of Yogananda, which we'll be discussing today. And on the show with us, uh, guests Brother Tiagananda and Brother Prafulananda, both from the Self-Realization Fellowship uh, that promotes and uh, sustains and keeps in perpetuity the teachings of uh, Yogananda. So thank you so very much, uh, brothers, for coming on today. Well, it's a great it's a pleasure, pleasure to, to be with you all. And we should let our listeners know that this is part of a series we're doing on Yogananda uh, this spring of 2018. And uh, we're honored that uh, both of you would be on with us today. And we have to, <laughs> we should also say that we have never had four people on the line, on sep separate lines when we've done these shows. So we can see each other and we hope we'll, we'll all be polite and not interrupt too much. Um, brothers, can we begin by um, giving the listeners a little background about each of you? You're both uh, monastics in the self-realization fellowship and the direct lineage from mm -hmm. Paramahansa Yogananda. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how um, you came to learn about Yogananda originally and uh, what drew you to the uh, monastic life. Okay, well, I could start. Uh, I'm Brother Prafalananda. Uh, and you'll hear that uh, we both come from very different backgrounds. I'm from Florida, actually. And uh, I grew up in a, what you could say, a fairly liberal Protestant uh, background that uh, didn't have any real structured dogmatism, uh, creed, that sort of thing. And uh, I did a lot of uh, looking in my high school days of investigating different religions. I knew that there was something that I was supposed to know about uh, having to do with religion, but it never struck me as what it was while I was growing up. Uh, and I went to uh, many traditional uh, Christian services, uh, visited uh, Catholic uh, uh, <clears throat> services as well as Jewish, and um, and then I traveled. Uh, I was off overseas for a period, and always looking. And I got back to my home in Florida and was uh, just <clears throat> hanging out for a little while, figuring out what I was going to do next. And my brother was in SRF. He still is. And he uh, was in charge of the very small meditation circle that they had there. He invited me over for a meditation. Well, actually, it was a service. They were going to have a, a reading service. I just read some of the words of Yogananda, and uh, I didn't know anything about what this was about, except I knew he was into meditation, and that was about it. And so I said, okay, well, maybe I'll come over. And um, so I showed up, but I was late. And since I was late, they decided to have a meditation instead. And so I walked in the door, and everybody's sitting there. It's a darkened room, 
and there were these altar pictures, and I had no idea what those were all about. There were candles, there was incense, and stillness. And because I came in late, nobody could tell me what to do. So I had no idea about how to sit, how to focus the gaze at the spiritual line, this sort of thing. But I just sat there. And what impressed me was the focus and the concentration and intent of that, uh, of everybody. It was, it was like I could, it was something I could, I was very aware of, even though I didn't have any idea what it was about. And when I left, I had the distinct impression, I don't know what this is, but I found what I've been looking for. Wow. Wow. And uh, then I read Autobiography of a Yogi and uh, signed up for the lessons. And then some years later, I, I, I came into the uh, monastic order. How interesting. Uh, so many people come to Yogananda because they read the autobiography first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Brother Tiagananda, your story is a little different. Yes, in one way. I was 14 years old and I was vacationing in the country estate of my paternal grandfather in Florence, Italy. And uh, uh, he had a large library with um, thousands of books and uh, a very large section of books on Eastern spirituality Eastern philosophy, and I found the books on yoga. And uh, the first few books I read were about Kundalini Yoga, Hatha Yoga, and then I remember Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga by Swami Vivekananda, and I was really deeply, deeply inspired and fascinated. And what uh, deeply impressed me was the practical uh, approach I wasn't asked to believe into anything. It seemed just that they um, they wanted us to practice and practice meditation as a science. And and so after a year or so, then I found the autobiography of Yogi, as you Philip said. You know, we had to started by reading the autobiography of the Yogi in Italian. It was an Italian <laughs> edition, which was published the first time in 1946. And I was 16, and um, uh, I was deeply inspired by Guruji's words, Paramatsuvananda's words, when he says that by the definite types of meditation, uh, the seeker of God can really expand his receptivity to receive within himself the universal intelligence of God. I memorized those words because at the time I really liked uh, I refer to God as universal cosmic consciousness intelligence, and I was wondering how is it possible to understand, or to get to know, connect. And when I read the biography, all the answers were there that it is possible, it can be done. And um, uh, growing <laughs> up in a strongly Catholic culture, in all respect, the there were many beautiful things, but the emphasis was more on uh, intellectual approach, dogmas. 
uh, reading the biography, and then I, f- I sent immediately for the lessons of self-religion fellowship. I learned to meditate. I received the basic te- meditation techniques of self-religion fellowship, and uh, I could see that, uh, yeah, the, this scientific really works, this idea of experiencing divinity, what we truly are within our own souls, without the uh, intervention of any other person, which in a way is part of the uh, traditional religions, particularly in the Kali Yuga time. Mm-hmm. And so <coughs> that's what uh, I could see that what Paranasivananda promised in his autobiography was true. And uh, that was 30, 38 years ago. Because then I stayed a few more years. I studied at the uh, Catholic University of Milan. I was always attracted to medical science, coming from a family of medical doctors. And uh, uh, living in the northern area of Italy, I attended uh, the lectures when the self-tradition monastics would come to Milan or Zurich, Switzerland, just next door from us to give Kriya Yoga initiations. And it was at the time, I was 21, when I received Kriya Yoga initiation in Zurich, uh, a few hours from Milan, where mm-hmm. I resided at the time. And I inwardly determined that this is really, well, I was 17, so you say, this is really cool. <laughs> this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I want to dedicate my life. Uh, it's fun. It's really, no one has to tell me uh, to do it, I really want to do it because it makes me happy and truly, I feel I'm truly living because as a young boy, I tended to uh, depression, anxiety, nervousness, but the moment, I remember the first night when I practiced Kriya Yoga, the depth uh, of the sense of calmness becoming centered within, and uh, it was amazing, and uh, all of these years, it has been even deepening and uh, sometimes it's too, I tell myself it's almost too beautiful to to believe you know? mm-hmm. and so and then uh, to make a long story short by 21 22 I decided to uh, to finish my college university studies and I came to United States in 86 I resided at the at the Hidden Valley Ashram community for men where young seekers, men can devote a period of their life to see whether they would like to consecrate themselves to monastic life. And I I felt very, very comfortable and I was invited to join the monastic order and uh, and here I am. And that was 87, so 31 years ago. Wow. Uh, Brother uh, Prafulananda and Brother Tiagananda, I wanted to ask you both, uh, just simple question, and that is that you're both uh, obviously very, very devoted to being self-realized, to self-realization. Uh, and Yogananda speaks about this in his autobiography of Yogi, and he also speaks about it in many of his talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, um, and you do various techniques and uh, scientific technologies, as you call them, uh, to become self-realized. But is there any one thing, is it a particular technique, is it a particular way of life or of eating, or is it the devotion to Yogananda himself uh, that is most uh, significant to your uh, aspiring to and reaching that goal of self-realization? My brother, Prafulananda, why don't you start? Yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And 
I would say it's not possible. Problem. Well, for an individual, you might be able to pinpoint one particular thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's a package. It's a way of life mm -hmm. on every level. And this is one of the aspects of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's uh, dispensation, is that uh, <clears throat> his, uh, in the lessons, and of course all of his teachings are in these, uh, it's, he set up the system of mail order uh, lessons back in the 1930s when this concept was uh, revolutionary. Nobody had tried it out before, but um, he was explaining very basic level principles of how to live. Like, uh, the, the, and these are common for every religion. Uh, the basic uh, do's and don'ts, follow the golden rule, and that sort of thing. Um, but in the lessons, he points out exactly why you want to not hurt others and uh, behave the right way. And there's very uh, practical means for knowing how to make your marriage successful mm -hmm. or how to bring, bring up your children and how to be successful in your job and all of this sort of thing. But along with that is this higher spiritual teaching of ancient India, these yoga techniques which allow the individual practitioner to go inside and discover first peace and then deeper and deeper levels of uh, expansion and joy, love, light, and uh, the metaphysical aspects of spirituality which uh, is, in essence, it's reconnecting our consciousness with our soul. Because the soul is one with God, mm -hmm. and we just don't know it. And, of course, there's much, much more that ties in with all of this through uh, other uh, spiritual principles. But um, it, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a synthesis of... Right the very pragmatic aspects of uh, living in the world along with these uh, high uh, techniques of ancient India, uh, meditation techniques of pranayama, life force control, uh, that uh, you put them both together and this is what uh, elevates the consciousness as you go mm -hmm. along the path. Brother Tiagananda, is your experience similar to uh, Brother Prafolananda? Uh, yes, definitely, very much so. Uh, I, I was very much drawn to the practice of the methods, the techniques, and uh, as you may know, in Self-Religion Fellowship, we start with the energization exercises, which right. is a series of psychophysical exercises developed by our guru in 1916 to prepare the body for meditation. And I love them. Then there's the Hongsa technique of concentration, which is very similar to the 
generally popularly known Soham meditation, so concentrate on the breath. And then the own technique of meditation I love very much. These are what we call the basic SRF meditation techniques right. uh, which students receive in the first year. But what I really, really <clears throat> personally found uh, very fascinating and um, engaging was the practice of Kriya Yoga. Yeah, Kriya really made the difference to me, uh, which is an advanced Raja Yoga technique of Pranayama, life energy control. As I was telling you earlier, I remember distinctly the first few nights when in the stillness of the night I was practicing uh, this method and uh, feeling, perceiving the the life force uh, flowing in the body and then being absorbed in the spine and in the chakras and uh, becoming aware of these subtle cerebrospinal centers of life and consciousness, and then um, perceiving the the presence of spirit within us, around us, everywhere. As Brother Prasalana was saying, connecting, I mean, realizing once again, rediscovering that union, and that's what yoga is, as you know, between our Atman, the divine spirit within us, the soul, with the with Brahman, the infinite spirit all around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, y- yes, and uh, it is amazing because as Guruji says, sometimes you don't even have to believe in a higher reality or you do not even have to have a sense of devotion or reverence for the divine and the masses, even though obviously it helps to go deeper in the, to the path. But uh, Guruji used to say, just practice Kriya Yoga. In self traditional fellowship, we have no dogmas at all. The only one, actually, we say is practice Kriya Yoga, and you will know who you are. You will discover uh-huh. the divine. Yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah. The, the words of Jung, the Swiss psychologist, come to my mind when apparently once he was interviewed, and he was asked, uh, Dr. Jung, do you believe in God? And he said, no. I don't believe in him. I know him. Mm-hmm. And actually, Jung was a practitioner of yoga and uh, very much uh, accepted the fact that through yoga meditation techniques, we can realize and experience the divine as a true, living, loving reality and not just as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate that both of you um, have given the listeners a glimpse of some of the uh, methods that Yogananda teaches, uh, taught and is, are still being taught. Um, can you give them a sense of, <clears throat> well, you mentioned certain practices that are, avail- that are um, available for people who take, sign up for the lessons. Can you explain what is the sort of um, requirements for people who are interested in going on from that to Kriya Yoga? Yeah, very good question. Uh, and Brother Kyagananda actually uh, just gave you a rundown on the, the basic techniques. But um, mm-hmm. uh, again, the, the, we start out with energization exercises, which uh, they're, they're a f- psychophysiological set of physical exercises where we're directing life energy to every part of the body uh, so that 
the body is then uh, filled with a greater amount of prana or life force uh, so that it calms the body and helps the practitioner of yoga then to be able to sit and be much more calm. And there's many, many more benefits of these energization exercises than just that. But uh, that's where we begin with uh, the energization exercises. And then the first of the sit-down meditation techniques is the Hong Saw technique, which, as uh, Brother Tiagananda just mentioned, that's uh, in other traditions it may be the Soham, uh, method, uh, there's many different variations on this, but it's where you go inside and become, well, it's the be here now state, where you're so absorbed in the breath that you become aware of nothing but here and now. Mm-hmm. And it's a very profound state of utmost peace and calmness and and this technique you can just go deeper and deeper in that but then uh, the technique after that is the OM technique of meditation and this is uh, learning to contact consciously the OM vibration which is the causative force of all creation and it's this uh, elemental sound that's pushing forth the energy that creates the atoms that creates matter and everything else but uh, it's a conscious energy and we can hear it brother Yogananda was mentioning going deeper in the spine uh, and becoming aware of these spinal centers well, those centers in the spine, the chakras, they all emanate a certain vibration of this ohm. And as you practice the technique, you can tune in to various of these particular sounds. Uh, and then eventually you hear the great ohm itself. Mm-hmm. And as you listen, the consciousness merges with that. Interesting. And as the consciousness merges, it becomes omnipresent. Mm-hmm. Because the sound is omnipresent, the consciousness becomes one with everything. Right. And it's, uh, it, it, it's an utterly profound uh, state of uh, uh, well, experience, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- brothers, if I, if I could ask a question to both of you, and, and that is, uh, obviously you both uh, got involved, as you mentioned, because you, when you first were encountered the teachings of Yogananda, uh, you, you, you experienced the silence, you experienced the profundity of it. You went full, full into it as monks, uh, but as monks over the years, and you've both been in a long time, obviously totally lifelong committed, but were there periods uh, where you had some doubts where you thought, you know, uh, I, I, this is quite, I, I don't know that this is right for me anymore, or I was having these tremendous experiences of silence, and now for the last six months, uh, doesn't seem to be as profound anymore. I've heard different monks from different traditions speak of these uh, uh, p- 
periods where uh, there's doubt or there's questioning or they're not certain anymore. Have either of you ever experienced that? Yes, if I may, this is Brother Tiagana. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, you are. You put it very well. Uh, our spiritual life is not uh, a constant high. Mm-hmm. Even uh, though through meditation we can go deeper and deeper into the state of silence, we have to realize it's also a process of purification mm-hmm. of the ego. We bring, all of us, bring back this baggage of karma and emotional complexities. And sometimes uh, shower like a veil of dark um, emotions on the pure heart. And that's when spiritual perception may not be there for a while. Some Christian mystics call that the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. That's when individuals may experience a state also of uh, depression or melancholy and uh, and it would seem that God is far away or there's no longer that natural devotion from the heart. Certainly I've had my, my own share and uh, uh, I would say in it has made me stronger, more compassionate, more humble. And uh, uh, I, I could see how we have to maintain a very good balance in body, mind, emotions, and soul. Otherwise, the perception of the joy and love of the, of the divine is not there anymore. And sometimes for weeks, months, sometimes for years, there, there could be that dryness, right? That's what you were you referring right. to? That, and there are doubts, yes. Uh, uh, in a way, our Master said, even your love, your desire for God, which means your aspiration to attain liberation in this life, will be tested. And this is the test. And, uh, that when, uh, uh, for a while, there's no longer this spiritual perception. And uh, that's when we had to support ourselves with disciplined, loyal uh, practice of the meditation techniques, whether or not we experience the results. It's the typical illustration of the farmer planting seeds, and for a long time he sees nothing. And he keeps watering, nothing. And he fertilizes the field, nothing. And, but then if he continues being disciplined, having faith that, Sooner or later, the seeds will sprout and the, the plants will grow and will yield the fruits. Then the results will come back. And as a result, I can, of my going through these periods of darkness and mild depression and doubt, uh, uh, I can see that now my experience of the divine in me and in others has become deeper. And, uh, and obviously, mm, like even... <laughs> The disciples of Christ were tested, and uh, and uh, for a while they lost their faith in their guru, Jesus. So it happens to all of us, and right. that's when many, many walk away, right? Yeah. Well, very well put. That's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could just, if I could, I could sure. jump in on that, too, and say, yes, I've experienced uh, certainly periods of dryness of... Uh, uh, extensive periods when nothing seems to be happening, and uh, but your your question uh, has that caused me ever to doubt that this should be my path? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like to address that because, uh, and and I'd say no, 
the dryness has never caused me to have a, a single moment now that I'm doing what I need to do, and this is what my life is all about. Uh, the, the dry periods, when God seems to be distant, it is part of the spiritual path. It's essential, because this is when the devotee, the, the, the uh, spiritual aspirant, proves to him or herself and to God that they mean business, that they really, really want uh, the, the, that, uh, that contact with the divine and, uh, and understand that uh, whatever it takes, mm-hmm. I'm willing to go through it. Yes, yeah, if I may add, because this is really a deep question that we see even among our students and disciples. And as you may realize, students are when they they just become students of our self-organization fellowship lessons and six months, one year, they practice the basic techniques and they can even engage into other spiritual and to other tasks, mm-hmm. religious traditions. But then the time comes when if they want to become disciples of Pansuvananda and receive Kriya Yoga, then there has to be more of a, a one-pointed, loyal uh, mm-hmm. dedication to the path. And that's when they become disciples, when they uh-huh. have the Kriya Yoga initiation. And uh, being a disciple makes us stronger, so when the, the storms of tests and trials hit us from all sides, we... We have the connection with the Guru, who is our divine friend, and he's not going to let us down. And uh, I've seen, though, unfortunately, I mean, because of our own karma, who am I, you know, by the grace of God, there goes I. It, it may mm-hmm. take lives, it may take lifetimes to come to the point of complete loyalty, like in our beloved late president, Shridayamata, Mirimata, where they, they could have cut, been cut to pieces or suffered so much, even in dryness. And, and separation from the perception of the divine, but they would not have let go, they wouldn't have quit, because their inner dedication was so powerful and strong. And it comes as a projection of you know, the spiritual consciousness from years and previous li- uh, lifetimes. So that's why I like to, to say, Guruji didn't say only Kriya Yoga, he says Kriya Yoga and devotion uh-huh. works like mathematics, it cannot fail. By devotion, some people think, well, it's the feeling of love and the sweet sensation of being in love with the divine. It's not actually that. Love is much deeper than devotion. Bhakti is when there's the inner constant desire to dedicate ourselves to our quest for the divine, the longing to also serve the Guru, Seva, divine service the Guru, at the cost even of our own comfort. That's when, as one enlightened disciples of monastic disciples, Brother Prama used to tell us young monks, true love, loyalty begins where personal convenience ends. Uh-huh. So it, it, it's normal, you know, if I, yeah, I like the path when I feel joy and love and meditation, it's convenient to me. Everything's fine. I serve and I'm happy and I stay. When he, then my body's giving me problems, my mind is restless, desires, temptations, dryness, darkness. Uh, the ego says, well, this is starting to hurt here. It's not so convenient. That's the test of love. 
do we walk away? And we go to other gurus, other paths, other teachers, so it may be easier, or no, I promise, I promise, a promise. Even though I don't feel it now, I promise <clears throat> to be loyal and devoted to my own guru, no matter what, I stay here. And then those of us who, through the grace of God, their own spiritual effort, are able to stay strong and one pointed, especially during the times of trials, not when everything goes well. Then, uh, that's, uh, then for a while, there's the dryness, as Brother performed and I was sharing, but then the joy, the love, mm-hmm. comes back in a thousandfold. Does it make sense? Can you follow? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, brothers, in um, your tradition, in your lineage, the, uh, the monastics are engaged in the world and, and serving uh, the lineage of gurus through their uh, work and, and sustaining the uh, teachings through time. Um, you're both involved with the public or the other the SRF students and the world of uh, local centers and uh, temples and so forth, um, and you've both been monastics for more than thirty years. Mm-hmm. We're recording this uh, on March sixth, two thousand eighteen. So tomorrow will be the sixty-second anniversary of uh, Yogananda's. Mahasamadhi, or the day he passed. And it's uh, actually remarkable that all these decades later, his teachings and his work are still uh, remarkably popular. Since you're engaged in that activity of of promoting and uh, sustaining the work, uh, what have you seen over the course of your 30 years or more uh, in terms of the public's uh, acceptance of the teachings, uh, do you has the message, has the delivery or the language or the approach had to change with new generations of seekers coming along? Um, what what have what have your observations been in that regard? Very good question. Uh, and, and just a minor correction, I think you said 62nd anniversary. It's actually, I think, the 68th. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, of course. I was, <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> Bad but, math. Uh, <laughs> but um, I would say it's uh, there's two ways of looking at that. And on the one hand, uh, the teachings that Yogananda gave, they're, they're, they're for all time. Uh, it, it's the same teachings as date back to ancient India and uh, the teachings of Jesus. And uh, the fundamentals are there. They're just bedrock. It's uh, how the soul can progress to God. And this is uh, the way God set up the, the show of creation and our existence, uh, <laughs> in a sense, without getting into a whole metaphysical uh, discourse on that. But, um, so the principles are there, and uh, Yogananda expressed them, and uh, in, during his, his lifetime, uh, he, as I mentioned earlier, he began the, the SRF lessons 
back in the 30s, and he also uh, gave his interpretations of the Bhagavad Gita, the uh, core teaching of the Lord Krishna, uh, and also of the New Testament, the words of Jesus. And uh, he explains how both of those very different scriptures are actually talking about the very same things, or the same thing, uh, which is how it's, in essence, the metaphysical uh, way, the path through the spine to the infinite. And so that aspect of these teachings, it's for all time. Uh, There's no question about that. But at the same time, society moves on, and uh, people change uh, the ways that we're engaging uh, in uh, in the world. It, 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 as technology moves on, well, these teachings are moving on as well in that same in that same regard, and so we're. Uh, very much aware of uh, the different people's, um, to put it the right way, uh, how they're engaging in their search for truth. But people's search for truth, at a very basic level, it's never going to change because every soul, every person, has within them an awareness of the soul, and that is whispering, as it were, uh, its need for something deeper and more profound than what we can ever find in the material world, you know, the the world we see and sense and uh, engage with uh, outwardly. And so these teachings, they're very much, uh, uh, they're very appropriate for this time and age, and uh, we're seeing more and more people are finding that they are very appropriate for their own needs. Mm-hmm. And and if I may, um, have you noticed, or either of you, that um, the younger generation of seekers now um, have, do you have to speak to them in any way that's different? I mean, Yogananda adapted his message for the culture and uh, the time period where he was teaching uh, when he came to the West. Um, And I'm sure you have had to as well. Are the young people now, uh, do you have to speak to them differently than you did a generation ago in the 80s and 90s? Is there any nuance there that uh, you've had to learn? Well, if I may say, uh, I serve at the South Fellowship Fullerton Temple, and some years ago we established young adult groups, and I, as visible, I try to meet with them regularly. We have sangha, spiritual discussions, conversations, and um, yes, I see what you're saying. That I've seen even myself over the past decade or so. Uh, I would say adapting more the style 
of the presentation. The teachings, obviously, as you realize, are always the same, and uh, they will never change the methods, especially the techniques. But, um, okay, I remember when I started over 20 years ago, it was more we monastic spiritual teachers, so to speak, in quotation marks, giving a presentation, more like a talk or a lecture. In the younger generations, that doesn't seem to work well. Actually, they they prefer the more interactive model, so which means we sit together in a circle, facing each other, and uh, every and um, we may read a few pages from the books of Paramahansa on a topic. For example, you know, younger generations are very interested in discovering the purpose of life and uh, how to achieve success and prosperity, or health and healing, or, or of course, love, human and divine relationships. And um, I only speak five minutes, and then uh, we pose open-ended questions, say, okay, how can we apply these spiritual principles in our daily life? For example, last time with our youth group, we discussed how to stay positive, especially in the workplace, in the world where there seems to be a lot of neg negativity and darkness and violence. And we utilize Master's words when he says, use thoughts of immortality to awaken your true self. And our uh, president, Brother Chidananda, gave a uh, talk on this subject at a convocation in recent years. And so utilizing affirmations to deeply impinge in the mind the truth that we are not just this bundle of flesh and bones, we are not this restless mind, we are the soul. So thoughts of immortality to awaken our true self, capital S. And uh, to answer your question, uh, I only, again, spoke for a few minutes, and then they want to share their own experience, and they mm -hmm. help each other. So they are more, I can <coughs> see younger generations in particular, they're more, almost more interested in hearing what other young boys and girls have experienced as a result of their study of this reflection meditation. They do pay attention to us as ministers when we lecture, but uh, they seem to try more of this uh, dynamic exchange of thoughts, ideas, you know, the personal story, the story of their lives, you know, they, and uh, they don't want to hear just a bunch of platitudes and quotes. Right. They, they want to know, okay, well, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, but tomorrow I'm going to work, or I'm uh -huh. struggling here to decide whether I should get married or not, or... Uh -huh. Uh, what can I do? And then, yeah, we state the the principles of Yogananda, and then, okay, now how do we live them? That's why even Guruji he wanted to establish how to live schools, and these are uh, this is very very practical. And mm -hmm. uh, and we realize obviously that also they respond better when we use also some kind of media like um, images, pictures. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm. We give presentations. I serve in area the mother center which is called center department which basically is an office where we serve we guide our meditation centers all over the world would you would you like to know how many we have now how many meditation centers we have in the world how many at least 600 yeah 
Imagine in 1952 when our founder <laughs> uh. passed away, we had 57. Yeah. Now we have 634. <laughs> wow! And so, and yeah, and if you go it, back further, before right. Autobiography of a Yogi was published, there were only a handful. Correct, just 12. <laughs> so 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 just a handful. So, but it, it is amazing that just after. The death of our founder, Kuruji Paramatsugananda, there has been this explosive growth of centers of the world. And so, for example, we, Brother Sarananda and I, two of us monastics, just returned from a tour in Europe. We visited our center in London, England, in Milan, Italy, and Munich, Germany. These are some of the largest SR centers we have in Europe. And when we were there, we we had a presentation that was also engaging to the devotees, volunteers, uh, showing also pictures, images, photos, particularly for the younger generations, mm-hmm. which seems also being uh, being appreciated more and more even by adults, I would say, or right, seniors, right. Right, everybody. Right. But, but definitely, as you know, the, the millenniums, how are they called, the M generations, the right. multitasking, kids who can do 15 things at once, like <laughs> checking an email, talking on the phone, and uh, doing a video game, and then also uh, doing their homework. They need uh, a little more uh, um, engaging uh, energy from us. And right. so Interesting. We utilize yeah. you know, the pictures, images, or brief videos, and then yeah. we debrief, okay, what do you think, and uh, how does this pertain to your life. So you see, yeah, in this way, but again, I want to emphasize the teachings absolutely are exactly the same as in 1920, Yogananda came to the West. The Kriya Yoga method, Mm -hmm. it's science. So Mm -hmm. we're not going to change the formula of H2O was H2O 2,000 years ago and even now, but maybe now we drink it in a glass, Uh glass and 2,000 years ago it was a copper vessel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but we we should uh, wrap we should you. wrap it up, uh, brothers. Thank you so very much, brother Tiagananda and brother Pra Fulananda, and uh, very profound. And again, to remind listeners that uh, uh, this is part of our series on Yogananda, and it has uh, everything to do with uh, Phil Goldberg, uh, my co-host, a new book uh, on the life of Yogananda, uh, brilliantly written, uh, tremendously researched. <laughs> And we uh, deeply, deeply appreciate. <laughs> Thank the, you, Dennis. Well, well, give it, but it's true, and we appreciate the cooperation of the Self Realization Fellowship. And I just want to throw one thing out: you've had this tremendous growth, uh, SRF, over the years, and you, you as, compared to other groups, you really don't proselytize. You don't go out there and pull people in. Uh, you uh, generally wait until people uh, uh, have an interest and they and they come mm-hmm. uh, sincerely seeking. So I think that that uh, is exactly. says something very much about the profundity of uh, Yogananda's teaching. But gentlemen, thank you so very much for your time today. Let, Phil, before we uh, yeah. let them go, let's ask if them to briefly uh, tell our listeners uh, the best way to um, check out Self-Realization Fellowship and learn more about the offerings. Well, uh, the easiest way to find out about Self-Realization Fellowship would probably be online. Uh, just go to uh, yogananda-srf.org 
uh, for our website, which explains everything. Uh, alternately, go to Amazon.com and uh, get your copy of Autobiography of a Yogi. Great. Right. Very good. And Amazon Thank is you everywhere both. now. Thank you so very much. Phil? Thank you both for uh, taking the time to do this, and uh, we wish you all the best in the uh, a new chapter of SRF with the new president, and mm-hmm. your ongoing work is uh, much appreciated. Thank well, you. thank you. Thank you.